This is Focal Point for Thursday, the 9th of July, 2009. The Internet Road Warrior. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. G'day, Gihan. Welcome home. How are you? Thank you, Chris. Yes, I'm pleased to be back in Australia, uh, back back home in Perth after a, a fabulous month based in Prague, working and working and having a bit of a holiday as well. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. This internet road warrior topic for our podcast is going to talk about so your trip uh, in in particular and uh, using the internet whilst travelling, whether it be for business or pleasure. Yeah, that's right. My plan was to go away and to be able to run my business as usual in a beautiful European city, so it gave me the chance to travel and experience uh, another country, another city as well, but also to be able to run business as usual. And I think it's only fairly recently, Chris, that it's been realistic for people to be able to do that. Uh, nowadays, there's many more industries and businesses that do allow that, but very much has been facilitated by the internet. and. Probably in the last year, I've been away a couple of times. So I've been away to Bustleton, which is about two and a half hours drive south of Perth, uh, for a week at a time. And I realized that I have been able to run my business from Bustleton just as easy as I, as I can run it from Perth. So if I can do it from Bustleton, why can't I do it from Prague or Paris or Pittsburgh or somewhere else? Absolutely. So uh, in talking about using the internet whilst travelling, we're going to use the metaphor of taking a trip, so actually hitting the road, getting on the road, what you need to take with you, so the kinds of essentials like passport, money and so forth, and what you actually do when you're travelling uh, in terms of both uh, carrying on and conducting business and, um, and travelling for pleasure. All right, so starting with uh, getting on the road, um, we're going to talk about internet access, so how you actually access the internet whilst you're abroad and uh, the sorts of things that are possible. One of the things I really realised and it really struck home to me was how bad internet access is here in Australia. When I was in Europe, the internet access was easy, it was very fast, it was easy to get access to the internet in a lot of places, but particularly the Prague in the Czech Republic is a country that has only been 20 years out of communism, so a lot of people see it as a little bit, uh, have this perception that it's a little bit backwards, but in fact it's not. It's, it seems to have leapfrogged some of the problems that we've had here, and they have, they have very, very good internet access, and other people who've travelled through Europe have, have said the same thing, that uh, Prague has some of the best internet access in Europe. But in general, I found Prague, Florence, Berlin, which were the three places that I went to, had very good uh, internet access, fast and easily accessible and very reliable. And when you were accessing the internet, Gihan, were you using primarily Wi-Fi hotspots or internet cafes or did you make use of domestic broadband? In most cases, it was, for me, for me, most of the time, I was in an apartment staying with a friend and he had a broadband line but with wireless, with a wireless router in his house. So we both had access to the internet in a wireless way. And when I was traveling, it was all wireless. So wireless seems to be the, seems to be very common. Uh, in Prague, particularly, there are a lot of internet cafes that offer free wireless. Uh, so much so, in fact, that my friend Brandon, who I was staying with, he said that in, um, in the area of Prague where we were, which is pretty central, not quite the central Prague, but pretty central, he said there are no internet cafes because they can't make any money because there are so many places around where people, travellers, can just go in and get free internet access anyway. Why would they pay to use an internet cafe? So, yeah, it, right. was, it was almost ubiquitous. 
Right. So um, in that case, how do you actually gain access to these hotspots? Are they free and open? You, you simply uh, um, enable your uh, wireless, uh, wireless client and you can pick it up, or do you need to make an arrangement with one of the providers? Um, no. In, in all the cases where they had these internet cafes with access, it was either completely free, so it is an insecure network where you don't need a password, or some of them were password protected, but you just asked the staff for a password, they were happy to give it to you. And so you mentioned that some of them were unprotected. So maybe we should focus on some of the security implications of using wireless when you're out and about. Yes, and I think that uh, we were talking about this before the podcast, Chris, and maybe I was a little bit overly protective and need, didn't need to be, but I'd rather be that way than not. So I guess in general, if you're connecting to a network and, and anyone who's connected to, to a network through a wireless connection would know this, that when your, when your PC or your Mac shows you what wireless connection is available, some of them say secure and some of them say unsecure. And the ones that are secure, you require a password for. But he also explained to me, Chris, that not only do you require a password to get in, but all of the the, the internet traffic that you then use has been encrypted using that same password. So some hacker who's listening in on the line, even if they have the same password, they won't be able to decrypt it. That's right. That's exactly right. So the open access networks generally don't uh, apply encryption to the traffic, whereas those that have some kind of password access do apply encryption. So if you are carrying out any business-related um, um, internet access, then you need to be aware that if you're using an, an open access uh, Wi-Fi hotspot, then you might be uh, exposing yourself to people who are snooping on the network. I've always been very careful never to do anything like online banking when I'm using a public um, unsecured Wi-Fi hotspot. But as you pointed out, websites like online banks and anything that has secure payments, they already have, they're using a secure web page, so your data is encrypted anyway as it's going through. That's right, absolutely. So when you weren't using internet cafes and Wi-Fi hotspots, Gihan, when you're on the, on the road or on planes and trains and so forth, what sort of uh, internet access did you have there? I didn't really. I didn't really use the internet when I was in mobile, in motion, but I did have, uh, there were the, the train to Berlin had some PowerPoints, which was very useful. Singapore Airlines, uh, when I was flying to Singapore and then from Singapore to Frankfurt, I discovered have PowerPoints for laptop users, even in economy, which is fantastic. That's one thing that's probably going to mean that if I ever take long haul flights again and I'm taking a laptop with me, so if it's not purely holiday, I will take Singapore Airlines because they've got, it gives me like 15 to 20 hours if I need it of battery, of, of power on my laptop uh, and batteries would just never last as long as that. So that was extremely valuable to have, to have access to power, even if not internet access. Actually, it's another thing I noticed about the cafes as well, Chris. Many of them have lots, in Prague, have lots of PowerPoints around. So even if you want to sit there with your laptop and work and you don't need internet access, you can still do that for hours on end rather than just for an hour, which is as long as my battery will last. And that's always a problem with uh, internet devices and uh, mobile devices is that um, battery technology just isn't keeping pace with uh, the rapid expansion of mobile devices. So we do have to charge them up. And, of course, in Australia, we have a different kind of PowerPoint from those in, in Western Europe and uh, Eastern Europe as well. So uh, presumably before you left, you made sure you uh, equipped yourself with the right power plug conversions. Yes, one of the things I discovered was that I bought something online, which was a universal adapter. And it's a funny little device where you press a little button and different prongs come out at the end of it. And it's supposed to match every PowerPoint in the world. 
it has an Australian adapter at one end, so yeah, I plug in my Australian plug at the other end, depending on where I am. So if I'm in Europe versus Singapore versus, well, those are the two that I needed at the time. But even in the US, it would have an adapter there, and it was just the one plug that did everything. So that was particularly useful. Uh, but that universal adapter is something that I'll be taking with me all the time. Yeah. Now, you said that you didn't use the internet whilst mobile, but that's something that's starting to uh, creep in, isn't it? We're finding that more airlines are starting to introduce internet access, so having Wi-Fi in the aircraft and that uh, that hotspot's also connected to the internet uh, via, well, I don't know, via some wireless link or some, some ground link or maybe a satellite link even. Um, and similarly, trains throughout Europe are starting to add Wi-Fi hotspots as well. So uh, I'm sure on future trips you'll be able to... Uh, access the internet whilst you're in motion. I think that's right. And I've, I've yet to experience that on an airline because I haven't flown in any of the airlines and support that. But I know that's coming in. And trains, I'm pretty sure that in Brisbane, part of their train network now has wireless access. And I presume you pay a fee for that. But it's a, it's a pretty good place to set up an ISP, isn't it, <laughs> on trains where commuters are looking to make use of their time. And they're willing to pay, even if it's a few dollars for a week, that's a pretty good uh, business model for an internet service provider. Yeah, even with uh, wireless broadband coming about, um, that's probably price competitive with uh, a, broad, um, a wireless broadband plan. Actually, that's correct. So if I was in Australia, I would have uh, it would be much easier for me to access the internet because I have a wireless broadband card. So especially in the major cities, um, I'm with a three network and I'd have easy access anyway. So I wouldn't be looking around for internet cafes or apartments with wireless. But when I was traveling, I did need access wherever I went. So I needed to find access wherever I went. And which devices did you actually take with you, Gihang? Did you take a little netbook or maybe just your standard laptop? Well, I took my standard laptop, and that that did determine to some extent what I did for holidays. So my initial plan was that I might even spend a week backpacking before I started the the business-as-usual week, so take a week off work. But I decided not to do that because I kind of equipped myself with a laptop, and I didn't really want to carry that around with me. If I wanted to be much more mobile and travel lighter, I would take something like a netbook. And nowadays, some of the PDAs, the personal assistants like a BlackBerry or a Pocket PC, which is the one I took, or an iPhone, for some people, that's all you need. Uh, Not for me, because I work in technology, so I need the access to a laptop. But for a lot of people, some of the smaller devices, particularly the netbooks now, which are pretty powerful, uh, are good enough, are good enough to travel with. Now, were there any things that uh, that you missed or that you didn't have? Yeah, a couple of things. There were probably three devices that I that I have at home, which I take for granted that I didn't have elsewhere, that, that didn't have when I was travelling. At least I didn't have easy access to, which were, which were, and you can guess what these are, printer, scanner and fax. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in terms of printer, I didn't need it a lot. Uh, there were times when I made online bookings and I needed to print out a boarding pass or a ticket. And so for that, I just had to you know, save it as a PDF file, put it on a memory stick and take it to... Um, an occasional, there, there are internet cafes in Prague, despite what I said earlier, and I found one where it cost me five crowns per page, so what's that, like 30 cents a page to print out, and that, that was okay for a boarding pass or a train ticket. Um, it's expensive if you're printing out big documents, but that's okay. So that's how I got by with without a printer. 
with a scanner, so uh, Brandon did have a scanner, but uh, so I did have access to that if I needed to. But another thing that I took with me, Chris, is a, is a digital pen, which uh, many people would have used or, used or seen graphics tablets where you have a pen rather than a mouse. And this kind of works the same way. Uh, you sign on the paper and it appears in the screen as well. So I use that to digitally sign uh, occasional documents from my accountant, for example. And you mentioned also that uh, in terms of faxes, you could use uh, an online fax service, mbox.com.au. Uh, yes, in fact, for faxing, I've already set that up anyway at home, even though I have a fax machine. I don't advertise it anymore. Uh, I set up this service uh, for, I think it's about $20 a month, or maybe $20 for three months. It's actually it's a pretty cheap service, Chris. Uh, as you said, mbox.com.au, and we'll, we'll include the link. Uh, and that that takes care of all my incoming faxes. So now incoming faxes arrive in my email in inbox as a PDF file, which is perfect because previously faxes I would have to get them on paper and scan them in anyway. Whereas here that reduces that step and it means I get them wherever I am, anywhere in the world. And and luckily I wasn't in, I wasn't in a situation where I needed to send outgoing faxes, but that wouldn't have been a big deal. I could have found a business center, a hotel with a business center, or again, an internet cafe, which would allow you to, to send an outgoing fax. And, you know, like I think faxes are probably less important than they ever were before. And certainly in the last five years, there are fewer people using fax, using faxes. Right. So when we're traveling, the sorts of essentials that we need to take with us are things like phrase books and maybe currency or, or traveler's checks, <laughs> if you're old-fashioned, and, of course, a passport to identify yourself with. And when, uh, using that as our metaphor for uh, traveling and using the Internet whilst traveling, uh, when it comes to languages, I mean, most people in uh, the Czech Republic will speak English, but uh, when you're on the Internet, uh, maybe not all keyboards speak English. Yeah, that's one of the things I I noticed, not particularly on this trip, because I was I had my own laptop keyboard with me. But I remember on previous trips when I've been to Spain and Italy, and just in the internet cafes, that the keyboard layout is very different. And even something as simple as typing an email address, as hunting around for the at symbol, so I could send like cpadney at gmail.com or whatever your email address is, and yep. even the at symbol was difficult to find, and uh, that's something that's used a lot in the internet, of course. And so there are certain things on keyboards that are, that are difficult to do. And if you're used to touch typing or typing quickly, uh, you might find that you'd, you'd be making a number of mistakes if you're trying to type on different keyboard layouts, and that's just something you have to get used to. The other interesting thing I found, Chris, and this did affect me on this trip, was that now websites are getting a lot smarter about detecting where you are, um, and that's usually very good, but sometimes it can be a challenge. So when I went to sites that I often go to, like Google and Facebook and Blogger, they automatically came up in check. And it meant that I had to find the link to convert them to English. Now, now, most of them do have links that allow you to choose. So it was fairly easy for me to, once I got into the English version, it was just like it was before. But I had to figure out how to find that. And sometimes it wasn't obvious. And in terms of, uh, of conducting searches and so forth, that, that uh, sort of geolocation sometimes influences search results. Yes, in fact, we did a podcast few weeks ago about Bing and uh, and Google and search engines and so I was I was experimenting with Bing while I was over there and the options it gives you which is quite smart it says do you want your results only in English only from the Czech Republic or neither like 
default to everything. And of course, when, when I'm here in Australia, it gives me the same options, only in English, only from Australia or everywhere. So, you know, these search engines are getting smarter and sometimes it's really useful, especially if I'm looking for local information. I would tick the box that said only in Czech Republic. Um, but at other times where it was language related, it was a little bit confusing at first. And when it came to uh, actually not being able to uh, get information in English or something you could understand, did you have to go and make use of any of the online translation services? And how did they go as far as, say, Czech and German? So so most of the websites that I used uh, when I was looking for local information were touristy-type sites. They were catering for foreigners. So almost all of them, had, even if they were in Czech, had an English and a German version. And it's actually, I was a little bit surprised at first, and then I realized, that, well, this is Europe. That's that's what you expect. And in Australia, we kind of don't expect that. You know, if I'm traveling over east, I go to websites, and they just assume that you speak English, and they wouldn't have any other language, typically. Whereas in, in Czech Republic, they almost always had an English version, and sometimes they had a German version as well. So the other thing, of course, when you're traveling is uh, the need to take some currency, some money with you. Uh, so uh, when uh, using the internet when you're traveling, uh, how did you conduct things that involved uh, transactions and money? And you made a little passing comment about traveler's checks, Chris, and you're right. So some people still do use traveler's checks, and I did take some with me just in case every electronic avenue for some reason broke down and was and was closed to me. So that was my absolute last ditch backup and, and a little bit of cash as well. But otherwise, I used online banking, and that worked very reliably, no problem at all with that. So I was still able to log into my business account and my personal bank account and that wasn't a problem at all that 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 worked just as easily as I, as it would if I was in Australia the only one little catch is sometimes there are online banking systems which for extra security for example my business bank with the commonwealth bank whenever i make a payment to somebody for the first time it will send me a six-digit code to my mobile phone by SMS, and I have to type in that code. So that's just an extra bit of security to, to prevent against fraud and hacking. Um, and I didn't have my Australian mobile with me. I had my mobile phone, but I had a Czech SIM card. So I had to, I had to be careful that I wasn't making any deposits to new accounts while I was away, because that would have been difficult. And my friend Brandon went through. He did have to make a deposit to a new account, and he just had to jump through hoops to try and get them to to authorize that transaction, and you find it very difficult to do. Is that a system that that particular bank um, imposes, or is that a system that you can optionally set up and disable? They set it up as a compulsory uh, security feature for their banks. The Commonwealth Bank insists on it. They either send it by SMS, or they send you one of those digital RSA-type devices. I'm sure you've seen them, Chris. Uh, people have them hang on their key rings. Some number appears, and that's the number you have to type in, usually to log in, and the Commonwealth Bank gave me that option, and they said me one of those devices, but I chose the SMS option because I always have my phone with me. But the point is that you have to choose one of the two. It is mandatory that you do one or the other. And Brandon's bank is different from mine, so it's not just the Commonwealth, it's other banks as well. Yeah, if, we have one of those secure ID tokens, but it's not. Uh, it's only imposed on you for certain amounts. So our bank, Westpac, you need to use the, the token, the secure ID token for large amounts, not for new accounts. So just a diff different setup. So I guess you need to be familiar before you travel with uh, your bank's particular approach and make sure you're equipped to handle that should it come up. I think another little thing is that uh, make sure you know what your uh, what the help numbers are for for the banks, and especially if you've got a one three hundred number or one eight hundred number that you call and that that you're familiar with. Just when you're traveling, that may not be the case. You won't be able to call the one three hundred number or one eight hundred number. The good thing is that the bank's website 
has listed numbers that you can call from overseas as well. Yeah. Now, I heard you mention that you, you did a currency conversion in your head a moment ago in terms of uh, Czech crowns, and uh, presumably they – do they use euros in the Czech Republic or are they not part of the common currency? Uh, they're exactly right. So they're part of the European Union, but they're not part of the common currency yet. So they're thinking about that and that may come in by the, by the next time I go there in a few years' time. But, yes, so when I had to do currency conversion, there's an excellent website, xe.com, and that has a currency converter, which I use all the time, even here when I'm buying products overseas and I'm, I'm making payments to American service providers. Uh, I use that a lot. And there, there are a couple of others that I know that you mentioned, Chris, oanda.com, and you also mentioned that you can just Google it. Yeah, I don't know how uh, extensive their um, range of currencies that will perform conversions for you, but you can usually type something like um, uh, one US dollar in Australian dollars, and it will tell you uh, it'll it'll convert that for you. Um, but I'm not sure whether it would cover uh, crowns. But again, that's something you can try before you leave, and then you'll know whether Google's uh, going to be your one point of entry for currency conversion. Yeah, that's right. And I, and I did use Google a lot. So I used Google Maps a lot. I used Google um, Reader for reading my blogs. Uh, if I was on Gmail, I would have used Gmail as well. Um, and as you say, here's another really useful use for Google. And I think Google is trying to be the one place you go to for finding out anything you don't know. Yeah. So you just mentioned Google Maps. So again, one of the things that uh, people do when they travel is they go sightseeing. And uh, you did that. You went to Florence and you went to Berlin. So how did you go uh, using the internet to, to enable you to go sightseeing? So definitely Google Maps is something that I used. And I did have a little pocket PC with me. And it would have been useful in that case if I did have one of those, let's say an iPhone or a pocket PC where I had wireless access where I could not only print out a map, and take it with me, but also I could just have it on my have it on my device and and carry it around. And it could, if it had GPS in there, it would even tell me how to get there. That would have been useful. I didn't have that, but what I would do was look up Google Maps, uh, save the map as a PDF file, put it on my pocket PC, and carry that around with me rather than carrying my laptop. And that was good enough because it helped me when I got close to figure out exactly which orientation the streets were and exactly where it was on the street. So I found Google Maps, or in fact there's a Czech version of that, uh, that was not run by Google but as good. Um, I found that particularly useful and that had things like tram stops and train stops and bus stops as well. And because I was using public transport wherever I went, that was particularly useful. So was Google Maps coverage of the Czech Republic uh, fairly patchy? Is that why you chose, why you didn't use that, why you, why you, why you chose to use the service instead? It wasn't patchy. It was good. Uh, I think the, che the Czech version was more comprehensive. So Google Maps did have things like tram stops on there, whereas the Czech version, I think, even showed the tram route as well. So you'd see a red line showing where the trams were going, and you click on the tram, and it would give you the time to – it would link through to the tram timetable. And so it had it was better integrated with the rest of the transport system. So just from – just from that alone, I find it more useful to pick that as my default rather than go to Google Maps. But Google Maps is pretty good, and particularly in other parts of the world where Google has a stronger presence, I think it's probably the, the number one mapping service, and that's the one you'd go to automatically. Yeah, I read recently that um, the Street View system that uh, Google is rolling out all over the world, that in some of the older cities, which have very narrow laneways, uh, present a bit of a difficulty in terms of getting a car. To, a car is usually what they drive about the streets in order to take uh, images of the streets. But in some cities where the streets are narrow, they've got a, uh, 
a street view tricycle. So some <laughs> right. person is uh, pedaling up and down the uh, the laneways of uh, Venice, let's say, or pa- help paddling, <laughs> and uh, getting a street view uh, mapped out in that way <laughs> with a camera in their hand, a video That's camera. Right. Actually, Street View is useful, and I did find it useful because Street View will give you the shop front. So if I'm looking for somewhere, I'll, the one thing I will do is the last thing after I get my directions is look at the picture, and it gives me an idea because when you get very close to somewhere, you don't need street signs anymore, and you've got this, you, you're on the right street, you know roughly where you are, but now you're actually looking for a particular building. It's much easier to know, to recognize the shop front than to look for a, a street number. So I did use the Street View quite a lot to find exactly what I was going to, to, to know exactly what I was looking for when I got very close to it. Uh-huh. Right. So you didn't take your laptop with you when you were sightseeing uh, and you had your pocket PC, but you didn't have Wi-Fi access with your pocket PC. So when it came to actually accessing the internet whilst you were sightseeing, how did you manage that? There were places that I could go to. Again, I could go to cafes which had wireless access and my pocket PC does have wireless access on there. So. Oh, okay. I could do that there, but I didn't do much, Chris. So I did most of my planning before I left uh, rather than looking around for a place where I could still get wireless access on my pocket PC. That said, I, I think that was mostly because I knew that it, there would be just an extra burden. Whereas, again, if, you have, if you're traveling somewhere where you've got a pocket PC or a netbook or an iPhone where you know you've got Internet access wherever you are, I think you would probably not plan ahead as much. And that is one of the advantages now. You don't have to plan ahead as much. See what's like if you think like, okay, I'm, I feel like pizza, you can ask your iPhone for pizza places close by and and it would help you out there and that's the sort of thing that you you need to do less planning now and you can do more stuff spontaneously so when it did when it did come to planning kihan so things like booking your flights and accommodation when you travel to to italy and to germany and uh and your trips for actually getting there uh what services did you use in order to do that Okay, so again, that was very easy now. It is very easy to do things online. So the the airlines have – so I went to a a travel agent website to book my flights to Florence. I went to a Czech rail site to book my trip to Berlin. It was all done online. Um, One thing to be aware of is that if you're booking train tickets, that you do have to get them printed. When I was on the train and they checked the tickets on the train itself, they wouldn't have accepted me just quoting a reference number with – Plane flights is a little bit different because when you go to check in, they just look up your reference number. You don't have to have any any printed documentation. But certainly with rail tickets or bus tickets, you'd have to bring along some proof because it's either the train conductor or the bus driver who's going to be checking your tickets and they want to see something in your hand. So, I, But in general, I find the planning quite easy. It uh, depends where you're going to. So when Brandon was planning a trip to Russia. So he and his partner, Angela, were planning a trip to Russia. She had trouble booking flights in within Russia, booking domestic flights, um, paying by credit card, and she had real problems with that. And in the end, we used, uh, like I paid for those trips, and they reimbursed me later because for some reason it was easier for them to use my card and I could send them a signature than it was for them to book it themselves using Brandon's card or Angela's card. So there's sometimes you get caught with those little security things where the website looks like everything's going to work and then at the last minute it says, no, this hasn't been authorized. Okay. Okay. So um, one of the great things about your trip is that uh, I was able to keep abreast of what you're up to via Facebook. You posted lots of photographs and you also had uh, a couple of emails that you posted out to your circle of friends. 
Um, so, yeah, what sort of services did you use to keep in touch with people? This is something that's quite important, and I think it's something that's really important if you're traveling for business and pleasure and you're combining the two, that it's important that you decide on some sort of policy on how you keep them separate. And it might be something that you just do naturally when you're at home, but it's it's easy to forget about that when you're when you're traveling. So I basically had four levels of access. So I used Facebook for my family and friends. I kept updating to my blog because I knew that there were people who follow me and who follow my blog, but it's more of a professional thing. So for business people, I used my blog and my email newsletter, and I wouldn't post all my photos there. So some of the very personal photos or some of the very chatty comments that I made, would only my Facebook people would get. But I know that there are some people in my business network who are really keen to keep in touch as well. So I didn't ignore them altogether. I just chose where I interacted with them, and that was the blog, the email newsletter, and to a lesser extent, Twitter. One of the things I found with Twitter is one of the things to know about Twitter is it very much depends on what time of the day you're sending tweets. People get to see only what's recent. So if, if you're following a lot of people, you wouldn't have seen stuff that they've sent hours before because there's new stuff that's come in. So because of the time difference, um, I generally didn't find it very convenient to send to use Twitter. When I thought about sending tweets, it was either too early in the morning or, or more usually too late at night in Australia. And so I didn't use Twitter much at all. Okay. And so the other thing that uh, you need to keep in touch with, aside from uh, family and friends, was also uh, conducting business. And I know that you set up a, a Skype in phone number and then you used various uh, webinar services whilst you're away. How did that go? Um, that went extremely well. So that was really one of the main goals and objectives of this trip was to make sure that I could run business as usual, like literally business as usual, except for the fact that there was a six-hour time difference to Perth and an eight-hour time difference to Sydney. But apart from that, I was really keen that I could do everything that I would normally do here. And it made it, made it a lot easier for me because my business normally runs from Perth and I have most of my clients outside Perth. So I have to be able to – so I need remote facilities anyway. So it wasn't a big deal for me to make phone calls and conference calls and run webinars and record our podcast like we're doing now uh, remotely because that's what I was doing anyway. So it really did make no difference that I was in Prague. Uh, I could have easily been in Perth. There were a couple of things that did make a slight difference. So as you said, I used Skype for my incoming phone calls. And Skype has a facility called Skype In where they give you an Australian number and I chose a Sydney number uh, where people can call you. They, they see it as just a normal phone call. And if you're online, then you can pick up the phone and answer it with Skype. Uh, and if you're not online, it just goes to voicemail and sends you an email later. So that was very convenient. It meant I didn't have to keep calling back to check my voicemail messages on my Australian message bank service. Um, in fact, it's been so useful that I'm, I've decided not to give up that number. I'm just going to keep using that as my standard phone number now. And my old number just has a message saying, this number is no longer in use. Please call the other number instead. Uh, it's, it's just so useful to be able to be completely mobile, even in Perth, if I'm out at a cafe somewhere or um, you know, even, even not in my office at home. I know that if the phone rings and I've got my computer with me, I can pick up the phone. Excellent. And I find the same thing, Chris, with my running webinars. That was one of my concerns as to whether I would be – the webinar would run as smoothly uh, with me being the organizer, being on the other side of the world to all the participants and the presenter, and there, there was no real problem. It was just as just as good as I'm running them locally. So things like telephone uh, like conference calls, webinars, no problem at all. Excellent. Great. 
Well, this is, uh, you, you travel quite frequently, and I guess you've seen some developments in the way that the internet uh, facilitates what you do when you are travelling. And I guess you're going to see even further improvements, like we've already mentioned, that uh, the access to the internet whilst you're, whilst you're actually in motion, whether you're on a train or in, a, in an aircraft. So I guess uh, when you do these, these kinds of trips in future, we can follow up and uh, see, how, see what new features of the internet are available whilst you're travelling. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, this this trip to Prague was the first time I've done this this month away from home, doing business as usual, and I've kind of caught the bug now. So I'm, I'm planning to do it again. And in fact, next year I've already got my eyes on going to Florence for around about the same time at around about the same time of the year. And I just think it's going to be one of those things that not just I, but lots of people uh, will be looking to change their change their life. It's not only change their business and their work, but change their life to be able to combine business and pleasure. And I remember reading a blog post about uh, a New York University sociologist, uh, Dalton Conley, who's, who's created this new word, invented this new word called leisure, which is combining work and pleasure. And, and independently of that, somebody I know, a colleague of mine in the thought leaders movement, Kirsty Spragan, has uh, coined the word furking, which is fun and working. You might have to spell that for our listeners. <laughs> exactly, exactly. F U R K I N G. And she says we should be working more often. And uh, we should. I, I think I'm totally with her. The idea that you separate your work from your fun or the rest of from your personal life is changing. And it's changing for a lot of reasons. Uh, partly, the Generation Y generation is already thinking that just because they go to work doesn't mean that they can't have fun at work, doesn't mean they shouldn't have access to Facebook and they shouldn't be um, using their mobile phones for personal use. But in, in return, uh, when they're at home, they might make a Facebook contact with somebody and that's going to be a really good business connection. So already people are, are fucking, they're combining fun and work and they're, they're being involved in leisure. And I think that's just more and more of this going to happen. And so the internet is a very big facilitator of that and has to be so even more so in the future. And we're making that happen. We're going to have another podcast in maybe a fortnight's time. And uh, in a year's time, we'll be having a podcast or two from Florence. Or you will. I'll be in Perth, I expect, Gihan. Yes, that's right. All right, then, Gihan. We'll speak to you in a couple of weeks' time. Yes, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to reminisce. Can you say reminiscing when you've only been away two weeks? Is that <laughs> Why <two> not? <laughs> Great. Thanks very much, Chris. Speak to you soon again. Bye. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues, or leave us your comments and questions. We look forward to having you back next time.